great to see all of you, especially those who are new to us. It's a wonderful opportunity anytime we have a chance to share, anytime we have a chance to see you and just to be in God's house with you. It is the day that the Lord's made, and we do rejoice in it, and we're glad in it together. <clears throat> we're going to jump right into the Word of God. Is that all right? We're going to look to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. And before we read, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word. I just pray now that you would open our eyes so that we may see all that is in your law. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For those who don't know me, my name is Paul. I happen to be one of the pastors on staff, and it's my privilege to serve you in that way. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17 says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17, And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The title of the message tonight is More, M-O-R-E, More, More. Some of you probably already know that my wonderful bride, Taylor, who's here of 12 years, and I met on the campus, or the grounds as they like to call it, of the University of Virginia about 15 years ago. And it was during that time that um, I was pursuing her. She was on fire for God, and she and a lot of her friends would wear T-shirts that said things like, Jesus is my boo. (laughs) And I knew then that I had two things that kind of came to mind. The first was I didn't stand a chance, right? Because who's going to compete with Jesus? Uh, But the second was, this was exactly the kind of woman that I wanted to marry, someone who's going to love God above all else. And I remember, I don't know if it was before or after she had prayed for seven months before she said yes to being my girlfriend. Those of you at the marriage conference heard that, seven months before saying yes to be my girlfriend. But at some point, I planned a date. I was living in Newport News, Virginia. I was a high school counselor and had already graduated. She was still there. And I planned a date. I drove up to Charlottesville, which I did about once every week and planned an opportunity for us to hit Skyline Drive and go up to Humpback Rock. And so here we are, we're going up Skyline Drive. It's all planned out. We're going up the winding turn for about 20 minutes on an incline. And then I look down at the dashboard and I see a light on the dashboard. So I look back up and I said, no, (laughs) this can't be. I waited seven months for this. Uh, I look back down at the dashboard. Sure enough, this guy forgot to put gas in the tank. So we're 20 minutes up. There's nothing on this winding curve, by the way, but in, in, in by way of gas station. So around we turn, in neutral, trusting in gravity <laughs> to be more than the gas that we had in our tank. So to say the least, there was a bit of panic on my part, right? Some fear. And I would like to think that that's exactly what Elisha's servant was feeling here in this text. Kidding, obviously, he was not feeling that. In fact, There was fear and panic on his part, but it was not due to him being on a date. But it was, in fact, because he awoke one morning 
as it says in our text, and saw chariots and horses all around him. Some background earlier in this chapter, we know that the king of Syria had planned an attack against the king of Israel, and Elisha, the prophet, had heard from the Lord this plan of attack, and so he acknowledges or lets the king of Israel know about this attack, and he does this a few times. Now, the king of Syria is thinking, somebody in my own camp has turned against me. Who's the snitch? Who's telling on what we're doing? Of course, later he then finds out, no, it's Elisha, hearing from God exactly what you're planning to do and letting the king of Israel know. So the king of Syria sets out to put a stop to what Elisha is doing, and he sent an entire army to surround him. Verse 14 says, he went at night so as to surprise him and surrounded the entire city. Not quite sure how you're going to go and surprise a prophet, but that was his goal nonetheless. He sent an entire army after one man. And in case you didn't know, the enemy is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Enemies restless in their attempts, his attempts to to, to bring attacks against God. In fact, if he can paralyze us with fear, he can keep us then from advancing the kingdom of God, which is precisely his mission. So we can expect, if we're professing the Lord as our Savior and Lord, that we're going to experience some adversity in this life. The king of Syria came with some force for Elisha, sending an army for one man. Text says in verse 15 this, And when the servant of the man of God went out early in the morning and saw the horses and chariots that were all around the city. He went to Elisha, panicked, and said, what shall we do? And I think this is a good first place to stop and just ask ourselves as a point of self-reflection, what, what do we do? What's our response when we are surrounded? Whatever the horses and chariots represent in our own lives, what is our response? Elisha responds to his servant, do not be afraid. King James Version says it this way, Fear not, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In verse 17, Elisha goes on to pray, Open the eyes, Lord, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the question that we want to really deal with or address tonight is how do we begin to embrace the reality of Jesus being more than anything that is against us and help others to do the same? And there are two points that we want to lift from this particular text in response to that question. The first is self-awareness, self-awareness. The second is other awareness, self-awareness and other awareness, self-awareness. Yesterday I was in a, a meeting in Charlottesville with about 30 pastors from the city of Charlottesville. They were kind enough to invite me. I was the only one in the room, not a senior pastor, but they knew that we were planning to plant a church. So they asked me to come and be a part of a conversation that uh, was essentially in response to what occurred in the city a few weeks ago. And there were a number of themes that came up as to how we might form a partnership or an alliance uh, that represented a gospel-centric message to our community, not just about that event, but moving forward. And one of the themes was how we are in dire need to live in community so that each of us and our blind spots, which all of us in the room here and there have, can be narrowed, can be, can, be, can be tightened up a bit, that can have some more light shed upon it so that we cannot operate out of fear that we may or may not know exist. And that word fear is one that clearly God wants us to know about given the number of times that he's mentioned it in the word of God. And in the Hebrew, the word is yare, Y-A-R-E, which refers to 
the psychological reaction of being afraid and also standing in awe of or revering. And I want to suggest tonight that this servant's fear was a bit of both. There was certainly a psychological reaction of fear, similar to Jacob when he was afraid for his life, when he thought his brother Esau was coming after him to uh, kill him. But also, I would suggest, in addition to the psychological fear, that there was a misplaced reverence. For in this moment, there's a servant scared, standing in awe in many ways of the horses and chariots that he saw, as opposed to remaining in awe of God's capacity to protect him. Now, the tendency might be to cast a stone at the servant, but before we do that, let's take a moment and just reflect on those areas in our lives where we could use an extra dose of trust in God. Those areas that if we were to push on tonight, all of us might be a little bit out of sort. Like if our job decided not to pay us on time. Or if our child was sick with a condition that the doctors just couldn't figure out. Let there be a blip on the screen at the doctor's office for us. The truth is that we can all trust God a little bit more than we are doing right now. And and let me say somewhat parenthetically here, there may be some psychological fears that are pathological in their orientation and may require medicine. And if that's the case for you sitting here tonight, see the medicine as a provision of God's grace and not an indictment of your trust in God. Tonight, we're focusing primarily on those areas of all of our lives where fear has warped our perception of God's reality for our lives such that we are standing in awe of the enemy's tactics rather than standing in awe of Emmanuel, God with us. And so the Bible over 330 times speaks of this word fear, which to me says you might want us to know a little bit about fear. That if, for example, we're not careful Fear could cripple our faith, cause us to cease from advancing his kingdom here in the earth. Over and over again in the Bible, we see fear not, fear not, do not fear. And on this particular day, it so happened that the horses and chariots produced such fear in the heart of Elisha's helper, such that he was more in awe of these horses and chariots than he was in the one who was really in charge. But the good news, the good news is that even when we see the horses and the chariots of the enemy, God already knows about such strategies. There's nothing that escapes his cognizance. He knows the plans that are against us, even the most sophisticated and well thought out. Nothing is ever said or done out of the reach of God. And his plans for us far exceed that of the challenges that might seem to be presented to us. So then really the opportunity is for us in that moment to lean in and to trust God and his word before we even see the greater army. Trust, for example, that we don't need to be afraid of 10,000 people, according to Psalm 3 and 6, nor a host encamped against us, Psalm 27 and 3. Trust that greater is he that's in me, in us, than he who is in the world. Trust that if God be for us, who can be against us? Trust that he will perfect that which concerns him. Trust that he knows the plans for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. Trust that he gives power to the weak and strength 
to the powerless. Trust that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Trust that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Trust that his grace is sufficient for us. Trust that all things work together for the good of those who are called, who will love him and are called according to his purpose. Trust that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty in Psalm 91. Trust that we are more than conquerors. Trust that no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. Trust that through Jesus Christ we have already experienced victory. And this deception of fear can rob us of the opportunity to trust God and to partner with him as he desires to show up and show out in our lives. He God is going to be God. That doesn't change. But wouldn't you want to be like Elisha, who says, yes, I see the chariots and the horses. I see the doctor's reports. I see the red slip at work. I see my kids' sickness. But I also see that there are more with us than there is with them. Psalm 34 and 7 says it this way, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and subsequently delivers them. I think sometimes what might keep us all from falling prey to this deception of fear is what I like to think of as a faith file. So if you were like me, at some point in our lives, we had those big file cabinets in our house. And after moving about four times in five years, that file cabinet became Google Drive and Dropbox and Live Binders, right? But we have these mechanisms through which we keep track of things. And if I could suggest tonight as a way of avoiding the deception of fear that we all maintain a faith file. And every now and then I go in mine and I look and I see, well, okay, 1999, God, you, I was there with, at the neuro-ophthalmologist with my mom when he took one look at her and said, you need to get the surgery now and healed her of a brain aneurysm. I go over to this file and I see, oh, yeah, 19, same year, Paul, you were in a car accident. Probably should have taken you out, but somehow you walked away without a scratch. I was there, Paul, when you thought you couldn't provide for your family, and I provided for you. Do you remember your faith file? What's in your faith file? And go back to it as often as you need to, to be reminded that there is no fear that God's love and perfect provision can't displace. The servant asked, what shall we do? And if ever there were a time when this question is being asked in our culture, now is definitely that time. We are surrounded by so many things in our society, and we, the church, have something to say and offer in response to this question, which leads us to the second point of emphasis, which is other awareness. Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I want you to notice here how Elijah, Elisha does not deny the presence of the horses and chariots in his truth-telling. And as we grow in our faith and our trust in God and, 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 and seeing God in the midst of our being surrounded by whatever's coming against us, it's imperative that we not forget how real both the fear and the chariots and horses are. So our presentation of the truth said differently doesn't Uh, uh, negate the use of our empathy, if that makes sense. We're not deaf and blind to the reality of what's being heard and seen by others in our sphere of influence. Truth-telling doesn't have to be devoid 
of empathy. And we won't go into the differences between empathy and sympathy, but point being, we're putting ourselves in another person's shoes to the extent that we can so that we can intercede in a way that's effective on their behalf. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 2 to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, Romans 12 and 15 adds. And while we can never fully know and understand, I'll never know what it was like to grow up in Bexley, Ohio, as the youngest of three girls. That was my wife. Never. But I can spend a lifetime listening to, paying attention to, and communicating that my intent is to understand as best I can. I talked a little bit earlier, referencing my wife, about the fiasco of a date that we had some 15 years ago. The good news in that scenario is that I did get a second chance. We got to Humpback Rock eventually. It was after we were married, because I wasn't about to take that chance again. So we got through all of that. She said yes, and I said, let's give it another shot. And we went back to Humpback Rock. It was beautiful, but little did we know at that time that we would have more opportunities to date in the city of Charlottesville for in 2011, we moved back there so that I could teach on the School of Education's faculty. And so for the last five years, I've taught about two, at least two courses a semester, sometimes three. Um, and currently, the courses that I'm teaching are Introduction to Counseling for Undergraduates, and then there's an Introduction to School Counseling course for the graduate students. And it's the first fall semester that I've not actually lived there of all semesters in Charlottesville, right? God's ways are perfect. If you're not sure what I'm referencing, a few weeks ago, there were some things that occurred in Charlottesville by way of blatant white supremacy and racism and hate. And, and so this was not a normal opening of a school year, to say the least. A couple of weeks ago, we opened up class some traditional ways. I stood in front of the students and said, this is such and such a class. I hope you're in the right place. I said, my name is such and such, introduced who I am, why I'm standing in front of them, how I came to be standing in front of them, why I still do what I do, and how I would love for our stories to interact with the content that we are wrestling with this semester such that we could all leave with something that's rich and beyond that of 15 weeks uh, in terms of what that can offer because the learning hopefully will continue and interact with uh, their story. But after doing so, and I rushed a bit through that than I typically do, there was a large portion of that time given to discussing the issue. What happened in our community? And it being the first day of class, figuring everybody's probably not comfortable yet to talk about it, we had the students just write it down on a piece of paper. What's your reaction to what occurred? And what inside of you do you want to change or develop such that you can contribute to the solution to the problems that led to August 11th and 12th? And so they did that. Everybody's writing down a piece of paper. And I'm looking for like two or three sentences. It was paragraphs and pages. And so I said, okay, take the paper, crumple it up, throw it across the room at somebody you want to hit them in the head, whatever, just throw it. So they do that, and then everybody picks up a paper, not their own, and they were told they didn't have to do it, they didn't want to participate. And we just began to read through everyone's responses. No interruptions, no nothing, no just, just read what's there to be said. And we go around the room, and after that, we had some time left, miraculously, and we spent some time responding and discussing what it was that was being said. And the fear, the hurt, the anger, the cynicism was real. And it continues to be real. Second week of school, last week, we did the same thing. I'm not even sure tomorrow if we can move on with the syllabus. We'll probably do a very similar thing. But in that moment, two things occurred to me. One was God's word doesn't change in the midst of that. God is still on the throne. 
Yet in that moment, those commentaries, those expressions inform how I might meet them where they are, given the horses and chariots that they see. There's a level of empathy that all of us collectively, whether it's that scenario or another, I describe what has been my world the last couple of weeks and the world that has witnessed what happened in Charlottesville. But whatever that looks like for you, a level of empathy that can accompany whatever truth we're presenting such that people to whom we are speaking can be more likely to receive the truth of the gospel. Whatever the situation, whatever the horses and chariots represent in the lives of those in your sphere of influence. So in our text, I can appreciate Elisha clearly stating the truth of the matter. There is more with us than those against us, all without denying the reality of the horses and the chariots that have surrounded them. A delicate balance for sure, but a critical and practical one that I believe if we are to participate well in creating space for God's word to take root and be heard can happen. And the text then goes on to verse 17 saying, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the fiery horses and chariots were symbols of the protecting powers of heaven which surrounded the prophet. And I love this because Elisha wasn't just satisfied to have peace within himself. So you might be sitting here saying, I've got that 2020 vision. I see see the hedge of protection around me. And if that is you, wonderful, but that's just when the excitement begins. Note here that while there are some very practical ways, I described a few of which we've employed in that space in Charlottesville to engage people who are experiencing fear due to life circumstances, the greatest kindness that we can offer anyone in our sphere of influence is that of to pray for them recommending them to the mighty grace of God. James 5 and 16 says the prayers of the righteous avail much. So the challenge that I would present to all of us who might be experiencing the peace of God in this moment, in whatever scenario you find, finances, kids, whatever the case might be, you're seeing the provision, your eyes are above the hills, as Psalm 121 says, looking to Jesus Christ from whom comes your help. Consider who in your life you can be actively praying for God to also open their eyes to his faithfulness in the midst of their trouble. Not from a pretentious or prideful space, right? Not the, oh Lord, help them see what I see, Right? but with a genuine concern, a sense of empathy and, and understanding to the extent that we can understand the pain being, being experienced and our desire to see all of us walk together in the victory that God has called us to walk in. And if there's one thing for me that has been reinforced in recent weeks, and Elisha clearly uh, had realized this, is that even after the practical approaches and all the empathic engagements, and I believe that there are a myriad of ways through which to participate well in that process, it's ultimately, Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by our might nor by our power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. And it's through that that such a reality of Jesus being more in our hearts than anything against us can indeed become a reality. Elisha also knew here in this text who needed to be involved to displace the fear that this servant had. He didn't launch into a convincing story. He didn't pontificate on a bunch of facts or try to persuade or refute his servant's claims or just about how right he was, he stated the truth. He who is with us is more than he who is with them. And then he prayed, Lord, open his eyes. There's no gift, 
no talent, no amount of intellect or rationale that was going to displace the fear in that of his helper. God opening his eyes to the provision and protection that he could provide was the only antidote. And so how can we begin to embrace the reality of Jesus being more than anything against us? One, we can be more self-aware. We can say, God, show me the blind spots in my life. Show me where fear is disrupting or getting in the way of my trust of you. Help me to surround myself in a community of folks who will shed light with grace on those areas such that I can walk more uprightly, taking the next step of obedience day after day after day. And secondly, Lord, help us to have other awareness. Help us have a level of empathy that drives intercession, that drives our approach to tilling soil such that when we present truth, the person's ready to hear it. God, give us that and help us once we employ that which you've given to us to participate well in your plan to get on our knees and to say, God, you do now what no man or woman can do. You take over and infuse God and bring your word to their heart, to Charlottesville in my world, wherever you are in yours. Peace that displaces fear. A sense of purpose that displaces anger. Direction that's not given by man's intellect, but that comes from on high. God, you are more. You are more. And Lord Jesus, we pray tonight that that reality would be all of ours here in this room. Your word says in John 16, 3, that yes, in this world we will have trouble, but that we can take heart because you've overcome the world. Help us, Lord, to live in that reality by your spirit, says the Lord. If you're here tonight and you have yet to accept Christ into your heart and experience the reality of him being more than any circumstance that you could ever face now, past, or in the present, I want to pray with you. If that is you and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ tonight, raise your hand. I would love to pray that prayer with you. Father God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much for giving your son to die on the cross for our sins so that through you we can live a holy life. Help us to live in such a way that we bring heaven here to earth and help us to demonstrate a conversation, a countenance that reflects our acknowledgement and understanding of how you are more than anything against us, such that the deeds that others see in us would point them to you and our sphere of influence be, be transformed by your gospel. Use us as your hands and feet to do just that. And we believe you and thank you for hearing us when we cry out to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.